This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome back to Exvangelical, the show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. We've got another great show this week featuring a conversation with Brandon Whitmore. Brandon discusses his earnest, honest journey from Christianity to agnosticism, and we cover a lot of topics from the historical record of Jesus to science, science's relationship to religion and vice versa, and so much more. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever, and please rate and review the show on iTunes. Rating the show there on iTunes gives the podcast that powerful iTunes juju that will help m- more people discover the show. I need your help to get Exvangelical to crack the iTunes Top 150 in the Religion and Spirituality section, so please go and rate and review the show there. I would love that and really appreciate it. If you're a Twitter person, please follow me there at brchastain. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Pod and like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pod. I also have a new essay up on Medium at medium.com slash exvangelical, so check that out as well. We also have a Patreon set up at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod, so if you appreciate what you hear on the show, please consider supporting it through Patreon. All right, let's get into it. Hello, welcome to Exvangelical. This week I have with me Brandon Whitmore. Brandon is another one of my friends from my college days, and I'm happy to catch up with him. Uh, welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks, Blake. Great talking to you. Likewise. So, uh, Brandon, let's get into it. Where uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in, well, first off, Wabash, and then Marion, then Fairmount, so mostly the Marion area. Uh of death was a pastor, so... You know, it was Midwest moving around, not like Army moving around or anything, but centralized moving around. Okay. Um, so Marion, probably up until about 2005 when I moved to Indianapolis, yeah. I've been here ever since then. And this is in Indiana then? Yeah. Okay. What uh, What type of, did your, did your dad have a, like a denominational affiliation? Any sort of? What type of pastor was he? He, I wouldn't really call it an affiliation. He would go from um, a church of the Brethren to a Quaker church. Um, The last one he was at, which was up until around, I want to say, four years ago, possibly, was a different denomination that um, I'm not incredibly familiar with. I don't remember the name of it, so I apologize for that. um, there was also, there was one of the church in Marion you went to. I was too young to remember what it was called. Um, so I have to pass that one as well for now, but there wasn't really any kind of affiliation to a specific denomination. I don't think they would call themselves non-denominational because they definitely still are in a sense, but, um, they don't have that kind of like, we have to go to this church or anything. Um, there's never really that kind of stance on it. So, um, so he was a pastor your entire, your entire youth and adolescence. Yeah, he was. So we always went to my dad's church. Yeah. Up until just a few, a few years ago, you said? 
yeah, up until a few years ago, and then he just there was a possibility of him moving to Florida, which didn't work out, and I'm um, working at a church there. Um, but no, for the most part, up and on. I mean, there were some years where he took breaks. Um, then he got back into it, um, maybe two or three times. But for the most part, my entire life, he was the pastoral. Okay, and what was what was that like for you? I, um, my my wife is also a PK, a pastor's kid. So, I mean, I know that that is, a, you know, a very unique sort of way to grow up. So how, what was the family dynamic for you in the churches he worked in? Actually, I had a pretty stable, fantastic childhood. I couldn't complain about a lot of, really any of it. Um, it did kind of give you certain bias towards the churches you're going to. Um, so you did kind of have that feeling of you have to go to Christian school. You have to have Christian friends only if you're going to hang out with the wrong crowd. It was, uh, I would say that part was kind of rough. I mean, it was a sense where I went to a very Christian school from preschool up until seventh grade or sixth grade, maybe seven, six. I can't remember. It's been years. Seven. But there's sixth grade, one of those two, middle school, um, and then I was placed into a public school from there. And, you know, going from a private Christian school your entire life to a public school when you're in that 12-year-old, 13-year-old range, it's a horrifying experience. Uh, just absolutely horrifying because, you know, you go to a public school and you're like, I've never heard cursing before from kids. How is this happening? And um, it, was a, it was a pretty big eye-opener. <laughs> So, yeah, and my dad was still pastor at that time and everything. He's still with the church on a weekly basis, of course. Um, but it wasn't really, it got to the point where going to church as a kid was kind of, I mean, everyone, at least I think most kids my age around then, didn't really go because they felt something when they went. They went to see friends. They went to get involved in the youth group. They went to watch. Uh, maybe have an experience once in a while if they really liked who the pastor was and what he was saying. But other times you sat there and all you did was draw during church. And then you did what you're supposed to do. They tell you to stand up to sing. You do that. You sit back down when they tell you all this kind of stuff. So, um, go ahead, sir. Sorry. So there was like a sense of sort of obligation there for, for you and your, your, the people that were your age at the time. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was more an obligation. I mean, again, you did kind of want to go because it was for the reason of wanting to see your friends and everything, but it was definitely, you were called because your parents told you to type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) They drove you. It would be like, Oh, we're going to get lunch afterwards. We'll go to McDonald's or a Chinese buffet, which is a big thing back in Marion at the church. Um, and so you went because you're like, well, if I want to eat lunch, I should probably go. And then when you get on the drive or when you get into college, or um, then I could start kind of feeling around my own churches. I stayed with the same one. It was the one um, at our university up through college. And that one, for the most part, I did like some issues, which I can talk about a little bit later on. But um, once I got to choose my own, it felt a little bit more comfortable. So. Um, that part wasn't too bad. What made that more comfortable for you? What made it more comfortable? Yeah. 
because I was at the age where I could get more involved, I wasn't at the age where you had to go to Sunday school and then you had, I mean, when you're a little kid and they bring you up and say, every kid come up here and you're going to give a little palm tree plan and then you're going to go talk about it and then break them into small groups and we're going to have adult time. Um, so when you get into junior high, high school age, you can actually get a little bit more involved with the youth group, but then, um, yeah, later on down the road, at this part's probably not going to make much sense. You can edit this part because I'm not making much sense in my own head right now trying to describe it. Um, it really was just more the feeling of getting involved with the youth group and getting more involved with the Sunday night service type of stuff. Feeling that maybe you have a potential lead um, or if you could have the ability to speak about your own testimony when you were a younger kid in high school in the youth group. It was that kind of feeling, just more, not just going for friends, but actually being part of something, which is what I really wanted to do. And so we had a little, they called the JC body shop that you would go into. And uh, that was fun. But at the same time, it only became about having fun. They tried to lure you in with, video game consoles and big screens and a bunch of television sets and rambunctious music or secular songs that would change to they would just change it to gospel music in a sense so you would have uh, whatever song is popular around 1997-1998 then they would try to change it into a youth group song sometimes Mm -hmm. it works sometimes not so much (laughs) <laughs> but then I mean and that was the big thing about what was an issue then and it kind of got to me a little bit but not until later on because I was kind of going along with that unfortunately but there was this a rivalry kind of I guess would be the appropriate term between the church that I went to the youth group that I went to that I was a part of and then the youth group down the street where they wanted to have a bigger party. They wanted to have a bigger draw. And it really got to the point where if you went from one to the other, just even visiting, and then someone running that you found out that you were from the other one, they would mistreat you. Not really mistreat you, but kind of shrug you off. And I remember one time I went to a different youth group and told the pastor there who I was, where I was from. His tone changed. He got up there, and the first thing he said when he got up on his stage was don't go to these to find out who has the better party. And that kind of struck me like, so why are you here? <laughs> it, it really was the sense where they were like, oh, we ran this great room and there's pool tables. We got arcade games. We got pizza here if you guys want it. So you were trying to make it a better party on your own and you just calling someone out like that. That's not right. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, I was invited there by friends and went there. I was going to check it out and just see what it was like, and um, it was it was not a Christ-like setting. Um, there was a lot of hypocrisy that went on there, uh, not just theirs but in ours too, which is a whole other story. There were the popular groups, and if you were not part of the popular group, you could try to get them to notice you, talk to you, anything. And they would for a few minutes, and that was it. And then um, it was over. And it was it was pretty disrespectful in a lot of senses. 
Mm-hmm. So um, it was, yeah, I mean, it started great, but then once you get older, that's why you have a little bit more comfort because you can be like, I don't really like this way that this is going anymore. I can move on to find my own thing somewhere else now. Mm-hmm. And I just wish I'd found that sooner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even in even in a church setting, youth groups kind of give teenagers a sense of like agency. And I think what you say about cliques and youth groups are is like spot on. I mean, that was present in I think that's I think that's kind of a universal probably a universal. I I don't want to say that unequivocally, but it's got to be a very very common sort of occurrence where the cliques form. I mean, I know that uh in the one that I attended I was part of, like, I played bass in the worship team, and so there was, like, the pseudo, like, young leader, whatever, click. And then yeah. then there was, Otherwise, like, yeah. yeah, so, and then there were, like, kind of what you would call now probably, like, the indie kids, you know, they wore, like, airwalks and, and road skateboards and may have smoked pot once, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, and, uh, or whatever, and those clicks are are there, and I don't know whether that's just human nature to kind of create those things, but it's really when you bring in a level of you know religion to things, religiosity, and you all have this crazy um, sort of standard. You're trying to figure out what it means to be Christ-like. It's really hard to to, to kind of put that on uh, on fourteen-year-olds. <laughs> But yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I mean, I've never, but the rival, the youth group rivalry thing is definitely new to me. <laughs> oh, really? That, uh, between, between two, I, I'm, I haven't heard anything like that before. Um, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> it was pretty shocking. I mean, the one time that I, that I just, uh, brought it up there, I had never experienced anything like that. Um, I had seen some cases where it's unfortunate. It was kind of left off and shrugged off, but um, I had a friend that was Catholic. It was still one of my best friends to this day. Amazing, amazing person. And I brought him to my CR youth group once, which it's a Wesleyan church. And he was constantly, mostly jokingly, ridiculed for being Catholic. I mean, up and down. People still liked him. But it would be, uh, he told me one time he was really offended when one person got up on stage and said, well, I used to be a Catholic, but now I'm a Christian. And that was kind of my first, that I can guarantee that was my first feeling of a judgment that shouldn't be, obviously, but um, there's a different one I'm looking for. I'll have to move on because I don't know what that word is, but it was, <laughs> it was a distance in my head, like, how can you? How can you think this and say this, especially when I'm sure, I'm very sure, you have a lot of friends that are Catholic. Um, you've got a lot of friends that are possibly Jewish. I'm not sure what the um, community is like in Marion as far as that's concerned. But I guarantee you've got a lot of friends of different religions would just go to that and say, well, I'm better because I'm not like you anymore. I mean, that's, that's a horrible thing to say. I mean, it's absolutely horrible to say that. And unfortunately, it, it just kind of kept going from there. We had a tremendous youth pastor when he started. Really great guy. I won't say his name. And, I mean, for years, he was just incredible. You could go to him for anything. At one point, he quite literally saved me 
And then unfortunately, things changed and money got involved. Money changed hands and money went into his pocket more than what he was trying to accomplish as a pastor. Hmm. To the point where he just was not the same person anymore. And kind of disappointing. I haven't caught up with that person in a long, long time. So I have no idea what he's like now. Maybe he's turned around completely or something. But it wasn't just me who noticed it. It was a lot of close friends who were also close friends with him. All noticed that was happening and going on. Hmm. So um, long story short, it was youth group was not, it was a great thing. It was a great experience for a lot of wrong locations at times because you did have a lot of fun there. You did get a message every once in a while. You'd go to the, the church camps that we had on in the summer times, which were fun, really, really fun. But then it kind of seemed like it was all for show. It was like, and I heard this analogy recently on a different podcast where um, it's not like when you go to a church and everything is fake. There is a sensation there that you feel. It's kind of like when you have a sugar rush, you bite into something and it's sweet. It's a dessert that's really sugary. And then later on, you have a sugar crash and it's gone. And for a while, I thought that everyone at you, because they would have those big emotional moments where everyone stand up and raise their hands and give the glory to God, start singing with me. And everyone did, not everyone, but most people did. And some people did it because they really felt something there, which is great. But then those people would leave. More than likely, they would forget everything that just happened and then go back to being the complete opposite of what they just promised themselves and to God they were going to be. So it's like it was sweet at the time. You got your fill of it. When you left, it crashed and it wore off and you just went back. Other people I knew were just going to be fake. I mean, there were there were quite a number of people in our college uh, at our dorm. I, I forget which dorm you were in, but I think we shared the same one once or twice, possibly. Yeah, yeah. We were... At least for, I think, freshman and sophomore year. I think so, yeah. I never went to the, um, the one freshman hall that everyone started out at because I was commuting back and forth at the time. But mm -hmm. um, outside of um, the major hall that I was in for most of my college life afterwards, there was one tree out there, and you would see guys out there with their guitars singing great songs all the time. And I remember distinctly one of them actually saying, he was only doing it to get laid, kind of thing. Um, and I guarantee you, a lot of people were doing that exact same thing. I mean, it, with all the rules and regulations around a Christian university, like it, you've talked about on the podcast before, um, it's obviously no surprise in any way that stuff was going on behind doors that people just want to talk about. But again, it was it just kind of made you think like, why again am I trying to please my parents by going to a Christian university when everything here is just kind of polar opposite to what I was expecting and what I grew up to and what I went through for so many years. Mm -hmm. Let's unpack that a little bit. Um, what, yeah. what led you to choose a Christian college? Cause I, and I, I asked this to every, everybody that has been on, because of the fact that some people there is an element of choice and for some people it was like a familial thing or whatever else it, it really wasn't up to them um so what was the situation for you uh it was a familiar, uh, family thing for me 
not in the sense, I mean, my sister was going there, true, but um, when I was going to the youth group that was part of that university for a long time, you develop all these friendships with people, and then every single one of those, a lot of them were very close friends, really good friends, still are to this day. And a lot of them were going to that university. So you wanted to, you wanted to keep that connection together. And then um, the friends they had kind of became your friends, so on and so forth from there. And it was local. And I hated the idea of moving at such a young age. So um, it was more, not really convenience. But it definitely felt like it was the right thing to do at the time. And now, yeah, if I could make changes, I, I definitely would have or pick a different major or something like that. And what was your major? It was in broadcasting. I started off as art, and then I just couldn't find what I wanted to do there, so I switched over to broadcasting. Okay. And um, spent a lot of time in my later years doing um, theater stuff. Okay, so that was... Yeah, um... I'm not an actor, but um, yeah, I was doing like the... We had some great... I mean, for a small, independent Christian college, there was we had an amazing, amazing theater, music, arts department. I mean, I was very, very impressed by that, so that was great. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Oh, oh no, no, no problem. I mean, my wife was a started out as a communications theater major and then switched over to biology, but then she kept doing um uh like theater stuff. She worked as the stage director for the monthly comedy show um all the way through senior oh, year no, actually. Yeah, yeah. So she did that yeah. and um, did some other stuff. She loved like stage direction and that sort of stuff. And it it was like yeah. I, when we were dating in college, um, I would kind of tag along and just kind of see what was going on. And it was it was pretty impressive. I don't I don't have like a it frame was. of reference, but <laughs> I don't have the best frame of reference. But uh, I mean, everything looked like it was like it was good stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it felt very, very, I mean, again, I didn't have a lot of experience there, but it was almost a different world going from most of the classes that you were required to take, like New Testament courses, World Changer courses, all this stuff. Um, going from that, which, again, I, I, I never really wanted to take those classes. I took a C.S. Lewis class, which I enjoyed, but most of those classes were required. But then when you went to theater, I wanted to be there. Um, I had a great experience everywhere. You had to take an acting class, which I was, I was never good at. But um, it really felt like a genuine area. Everyone felt like they wanted to be there. and There was not, I mean, maybe it was just my experience, but there was not any kind of laziness in that area. There wasn't a feel like, oh, we got to do homework in this sense of, for whatever reason, it felt seriously like everyone wanted to be there. Everyone wanted to show up to class. Everyone wanted to take the summer semesters that were continuations of those classes. Um, so that was a very positive experience there. I mean, that's one thing I can look back on probably just mm -hmm. have not one bad thing to say about it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, classes for me were, were definitely a high point of things. I think kind of, um, the campus culture could get a little weird and uh yeah. i was in uh yeah so i was in the same dorm that you were in for the first two years and then i moved junior year to townhouses and then off campus senior year um but i mean i remember kind of like the first the first day or two 
you know, people started to like make these weird jokes that were like, I, I came in like extremely sincere. I didn't really know what to expect. Like I, at the point when I applied to colleges, I thought I wanted to be a pastor. And so I only applied to Christian colleges cause I felt like that was the right thing to do. And, um, yeah. and so I kind of went, I went to, um, to our school felt like it was the right school. But then as soon as I was there, I kind of realized, I, I don't know what I thought. I think I thought that it was going to be this weird sort of utopian sort of thing where all these people are coming together. And because of the fact that we all have this thing that binds us together and these supposedly yeah. deepest beliefs that like everyone's going to be different or kind or something. <laughs> um, and, but then so we sound like conscious for it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, what ends up the case is that it's just like everywhere else. And that, that's the more realistic thing, but that's not one the, the picture I'd painted in my mind. Um, so, and that, that kind of, that was a rude awakening really quickly. Like, Oh yeah, there are still clicks here. They're actually worse here <laughs> than, than a lot of places. Oh yeah. You know, I, they really were <laughs> like the clicks were, were deeper and more, pronounced and it was weird um yeah so. <laughs> it, it really was i mean i guess it was kind of part of a weird click in a sense so like um me and my group of friends um you knew a lot of them you were one of them obviously but um there were times when we ran around ran around pace around the entire area sometimes playing campus doll but other times just doing stuff we probably shouldn't have done but it was harmless. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, well, gosh, there's so many things I look back on in college, I'm like, why did I do that? Uh, me <laughs> personally, you know, like me with my friends, just like me, like, I was such a hypocrite. I was, I did so many things I'm just embarrassed about, <laughs> not just in college, but just around that time afterwards. Um, so, yeah, it was a huge learning experience and nothing um, I, I could change, obviously, because it happened, but, oh, yeah. Um, the clicks, yeah, they were very, very prominent there, which I, again, yeah, like you, I never expected that to happen. It was just definitely dramatically increased from what I knew in youth group going into there. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting perspective because you, that youth group, it sounds like, and I didn't know this, um, it sounds like it, it was almost like a, a local feeder into the college. Like, like, it was you went to the youth group attached to the school, so yeah, it was kind of like Muppet Babies going to Jim Henson's <laughs> Muppets tonight. <laughs> but like but the, those are like those those are not quite the Muppets that people enjoy. They're just kind of like offhanded things together. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what I'm trying to make here. They. Like you take the Muppet series from the seventies, which is absolutely perfect and fantastic. Nothing can touch it. And that's what Christianity is. Then it's got the offshoots of Muppet Babies and then Muppets Tonight, which were just kinda like, Why did we make this? And that's what <laughs> my youth group was like, and that's what sorry, our college was like. <laughs> it's fine. It's um fine. you know what I'm picturing is <laughs> I'm picturing the youth 
the youth ministry professor that kind of took over JC Body Shop when we were like our last couple of years there. I'm picturing him in those striped socks right now from Muppet Babies. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think another pastor Is... you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh yeah. So um so in college, um how did you feel about how did you feel about your your faith overall? I mean you you were deeply involved in in youth group in high school. Did you I know they had like a college section of that in uh in college, but I I went to it a couple of times and then um there was like a, a sophomore year. Uh I played around with um John from the first episode. Um we yeah. we were part of the worship team of like a I don't know if you would call it a college youth group or something like that. At um at the the place like south of campus. I can't even remember the name of it. I've blocked it out of my memory. Um But anyways uh so did you stay in the JC body shop and everything uh throughout college or did um, you stop doing that? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think that I did. I didn't know they had college youth group after that. I thought there was just study hall time or coffee shop. Maybe there were just events there or something. I'm not sure. I could be. It's a possibility, or yeah. I could have been completely out of it. But um, I mean, I, I can't dodge it all on it. But um, I yeah, I don't think I ever went afterwards. And were you going to? I do remember there were like special. Okay, sorry. What? Oh, sorry. Uh, were you going to? Um, did you go to churches at all during college? I'll I'll fess up. I I was very irregular. I was taking a lot of Bible classes. I kind of felt like I had that covered. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Um, yeah, I mean, I still went on occasion. There were there were two or three services that the church on the campus had. And um, a lot of friends went to whatever one we could wake up at the time for, pretty much. Um, but <laughs> yeah. after the requirement of going to chapel three times a week, which was just discussed recently, I remember, and I forget his name, but he said he would just like go to one door, scan in, go to another door, scan out, which yeah, I should have done. Everyone should have done that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But after getting our fill on that, it was like, is church service really necessary? Yeah. Um, so I didn't stay anywhere near as regular. And there was a huge moment of betrayal that happened with the church that I was at. Um, uh, that just hit me really, really hard. And that pastor was ejected. They got a new one in who uh, is, I think is still there today, who actually, actually is a very amazing guy. But um, the main thing that happened to this pastor that I really trusted the church, what he did and how it affected the entire church itself just made me kind of go, this isn't for me anymore. Um, and it's kind of a common thing with a lot of pastors where you find out some kind of, and everyone's human, of course, everyone makes mistakes. But when you keep seeing news articles or news articles that this is happening again and again and again and again, where a church leader is found of doing something incredibly, incredibly horrible um, to their families, to people they trust, to um, children. Just bad things. And it was enough to make me kind of want to stop <clears throat> going to church because why should I feel like I'm being talked to by someone who is 
possibly a gigantic hypocrite in a sense. Why are they going to tell me to better my life when they're just not there themselves? So it kind of goes to the parable about, you know, take this one out of your own eye before so you can take this one out of your brother. So help yourself before you help anyone else. That's what I was kind of going, well, surely you should be a good person if you're up on stage telling everyone else to be a good person. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of what drew me away from the church and maybe really just kind of stopped going for a long time. Would you say that's kind of where you're, where you're you know, sort of break with evangelicalism or Christianity in general? Um, began is like, or had it started kind of a little before, um, a little before that, or that was my break away from church. Um, I kind of saw it as two different things where losing my belief in general of God, it started with a lot of questions. I mean, there were some things, even as a very strong Christian as a kid, I never took the stories of Genesis or most of the stuff in the Old Testament as literal truth because it all seemed very metaphorical i mean how can you go by a belief that one the earth is you know, six seven thousand years old and a great flood happened and killed everything when they're like well we have a lot of proof that a lot of civilizations were around before the flood during the flood after the flood happened so that's kind of an issue that should be addressed um and the whole story of the garden of eden the whole story of jericho the walls tumbling down, which we now know is there were never walls around Jericho anywhere near that time. Um, a lot of stuff I was like, okay, it's I mean, it's it's stories to tell to better oneself, even though some of the stories are kind of scary for a book about hope. But I would never really take it literally. And then as my years went on and through college, I was kind of coming up with those questions on a deeper level because I'm like, why don't we ever talk about these little things in the Bible. And then um, my youth pastor that I had that I really loved at the time, who, like I said, went on to um, kind of become a different person. I got to sit down and talk with him. And he was the one that kind of told me, don't pay attention to the church, pay attention to God and the Bible itself. So we had some good discussions about it. But at the same time, they were discussions, but they weren't really answers. And it seems kind of like whenever I would get to those hard questions and no answer was coming that I kind of thought, well, maybe these people just don't really know or don't want to admit that they don't want to know, or they just don't want to know. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Of that. Yeah. So sorry. no, no, no. So what sort of, uh, what sort of question would come to mind for you that was difficult to answer within that framework? And you can take your time. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a couple up in there, but I'm um, trying to think of like a pretty decent example. Um, well, a lot of it, and some of the bigger questions came afterwards, but I remember the slaughter of the Amalekite story, um, reading it when I was in college, and how God commanded every single Amalekite, men, women, children, cattle, to be murdered. And when some were spared, the person who was charged with taking on that test by God was punished. And it's a question of, it, it kind of made it seem like it wasn't a God of mercy. It wasn't a just and loving God. It made it seem like it was a God of vengeance. And why would you want to be servitude to someone who 
will do that. It would, they want you to be a good person because without God, there is no morality. But in this case, a person who is serving God decides to spare out of morality because he doesn't feel right about murdering innocent children. Mm-hmm. But in the end, that person is punished for it. And that's, even today, it's still, a, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and some people will have explained certain things of, um, of God. I mean, the answer was always, well, God knows more than we do. We can't understand God, which, okay, I understand that. But just don't pretend that I, I can't, I couldn't accept the fact that everything's going to work out in the end, that things are going to make sense in the end, because it's, how do you know that? Um, another thing was how people always say, well, God's testing me. That's why I'm going through these trials. It was go back to the story of Job. And when you're someone who is incredibly devout, someone who's very much serving God, and all you face is hardship after hardship, if you have cancer and you're in your deathbed, everything is in pain, I don't see that as God testing you. It just seems like there is something in your body that's malfunctioning. It's not part of God's perfect design because why would why would kids be born with diabetes? Why would kids be born with bone cancer? Why would cancer happen in general? Why would someone get lung cancer when they don't smoke? Nothing made it wrong. Why do kidney stones happen? No one. There are some things that could potentially cause it, but we don't know. And it's like all this stuff happens to people who are serving God, and then they walk away saying, oh, well, God was just testing me, and praise God I got through it. It's like, well, it was a bad thing that happened. I cannot walk away from that and say, well, praise God. Um, So stuff like that just didn't make any sense to me. I couldn't really take that anymore. Um, So it was questions like that, and all I ever really heard was, well, God has a plan. And it just, I won't say enough is enough because I can definitely understand people having faith. I will never put it down. And I want that faith back. I really do, especially recently. I want that faith back. Hmm. But for a long time, I just wasn't getting an answer that I could build anything on. Um, so that was kind of, that. in a nutshell, that's a, long-winded question answer type of thing but um. (laughs) no it's a very it was a very open-ended question and it was a very good response um i mean it's really hard to kind of especially if you're in the midst of wrestling with something like that it's very hard to kind of accept a sort of blanket response like that um yeah because it it just it rings hollow um because the thing and having had similar questions and you ask it to someone sometimes the a response like that sort of betrays the fact that they have that question too and they don't know how to answer it and yeah sometimes it's better to just say yeah i i have no idea <laughs> um yeah. and just kind of be honest about it cuz yeah a lot of those a lot of those questions um is especially like can god could god be wicked was what god said you know if that if that story 
um, in, I, I think like first Samuel or whatever it might be, Amal- the Amalekite story that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a hard story to stomach and it's really it hard. Really is. It's really hard to take to accept that. Um, because, you know, as part of the Christian tradition, you filter everything through Jesus and that's not consistent with the God that Jesus tells us about. <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. so it's extremely, so, I mean, it, it takes a lot of, at that point when you have questions like that, I mean, it's instead of the desire at that point is not always necessarily for kind of a blanket statement. It's more like, let's get more specific. Let's try to figure this out. But sometimes even that isn't satisfying. So, I mean, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, but it's absolutely worthwhile um, to ask the questions and go through that period and address the, those parts of your, those parts of your beliefs that feel shaky kind of. Um, yeah. So what was, what, what was after college like for you after you graduate? What's next after that? Um, so I stayed around the Marion area for a while. It was, you know, um, and I remember one time I was my friend, one of my best friends, still amazing friend to this day, who's moving to Indy soon. So that, that's fantastic. But um, there was um, one day we were taking our toy pilgrimage to Indianapolis, and I saw an opening like, "Hey, come work at Borders." I was like, and he said, "Oh, you should apply." So I did, and um, got hired on there. And then it was that was like the first step to moving towards Indy. I was there for a while, met someone here. Um, started staying with her and then kind of transferred very subtly from Fairmount to Indianapolis and stayed here. And I'm glad I did. Um, started moving different jobs. And then I, I mean, the job I have now, I've been at for a little over 10 years. One one company and then we got transferred to a different company, moved around in different departments and everything, but I've been with the actual same company. So that's, I'm glad about that, but at the same time, it's, it's not the best of positions I want to be in. That's a but, that's, um, but that's actually kind of a uh, that's a that's an accomplishment this day and age to be at a company for yeah. that that long. So that's cool. I agree. And um, but yeah, once I moved to Indy, and I was still with the girl, and we ended up getting married. She had a huge difference of belief. I was still very much a Christian at the time, even with questions. Um, she was on the opposite end. She is, was or still is pagan. Sorry, so there was a huge. Yeah, I'm sorry. Before we before we move on, can you kind of explain what that means? Uh, if she she described herself as a pagan. Oh, pagan beliefs. Um, it's, uh, it depends which part of paganism you look into. I mean, stuff like Wicca has been around for uh, modern Wicca has only been around for. Few decades, paganism itself is where a lot of Christianity actually kind of got its roots in some sense. Um, even as far as the Easter story and Christianity is kind of an evolution from the pagan um, spring equinox, where they would celebrate life coming in at spring that was killed off in the winter. It was, I mean, in a sense, in their sense of the word, an actual resurrection. Um, she was pagan in the fact that she was someone who believed in. Um, Lunar cycles, not like Harry Potter Wicca type of stuff. Because, well, I mean, she believed in 
some areas that were kind of off to me as a Christian. But um, I believed in the idea of the earth being the center of everything. Like the earth itself, the physical earth itself being the mother to everything. Um, there's a, just a lot of different pagan areas I don't know them all. I'm not really sure how my answer would go on that. Oh, sure. No, so. yeah, but sorry. that um, That's like a, both like it's a very broad – it's kind of like a broad term, and it's also like it's, I want – It's extremely – I mean, some people would believe that – I mean, this, and I don't know how accurate this is. Some people would consider Hinduism a sort of paganism. Um, it's a lot of Zen. It's a lot of meditation. It's a lot – I mean – depends what sect you go into there are some that will actually rely on motorcycles to determine that's how they're going to feel and pray and how it's going to affect their outcome on life there's just a lot of physical energy that they want to use for their means of existence um, i would say and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at the time when i was a christian i thought there was and um I was pretty judgmental at times. I didn't come out in front of her and do it, but I would constantly try to find ways to prove your religion's wrong, and I shouldn't have done that at all. But at the same time, I was like, I'm going to be a huge hypocrite if I don't look into my own too more than I have before. And that's when I really started looking into it. And I didn't really, I didn't study the Bible. I studied about the Bible. I studied how it was written, the changes it went through, and I was like, this is not at all like there's a whole lot more here than what I thought I knew growing up. It's not black and white like it was when I was a kid. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot. I mean, if you go back to the original translations of the book in the Old Testament, it's a very polytheistic book. And then through different changes down the line, it became like, uh, well, there's one where they actually talk about God dividing the land among the other gods. And then as it went forward, it became more monotheistic in the sense where they changed it to God dividing lands among the children of Israel. And then later on again to the sons of Israel. And you have to wonder like where that came from, why they did it, how the Bible was written, why the Bible was written that way, why these books were put together. Instead of just going, well, I'm going to find my answer for this part of the Bible. I'm going to look for that in this part of the Bible. Um, so that's what I started doing. And again, I don't have everything right on, on it. I read the book cover to cover once. Um, once I actually did get divorced because I was looking for some kind of meaning. I went through kind of a dark time. I knew it was for the best, but I was trying to find some kind of meaning, and I was praying hard and just saying, "God, show me something. There's got to be something here." But all I found were more holes being opened, and more confusion, and more myself kind of being pulled down from it. Um. In a nutshell, that was after college. That was about the span of uh, five years. Oh, that was that's a lot to happen in five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. So we did it for two and a half years. We got married in two thousand eight. Um, we were together for a year and a half, and then it was very much a it was a brushed marriage. I felt like I had to. I was a Christian. I was like, this is who God wants me to be with. So I've got to make this work. Uh, my parents, who I still love, were kind of pushing me in that direction as well. They're like, well, you're living with her. You've got to marry her because it's not right for God if you don't and all this stuff. Um, so it was definitely feeling like I had to, there was still love there, but it was not what a marriage should have been 
in any way. It was, it just wasn't. And, um, it caused a lot of discomfort. It caused a lot of us having to change who we were for the other person, even though we shouldn't have had to do that because it wasn't for the betterment of either one of us. And, um, there were just a lot of problems with it. So we ended things on okay terms. I mean, she's actually a wonderful person, moved back out of state. But it was from there, actually, that I really started to question my faith, like where that happened. Not because of the emotional thing on it, but because I really started looking more for answers of why I believe what I did. And was I just believing it because I was told to my entire life? Was it going to church because I was told to? Yes. Was I believing in an afterlife with Jesus because I was told? Yes. Um, was I singing hymnals in church because I had to? Yes, because we were told to stand up and sit down and sing. And I kind of took that as, that's what I've been doing my entire life when it came to religion. I've been going to churches because I was told to. I was believing everything about Christianity because I was told to. But then again, if I went to a different church, um, and I did go to a different church that my relatives went to, and I remember this was in um, 1998, and their pastor successfully scared the ever-living hell out of me <laughs> by saying, if you don't remember the exact day that you accepted Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I was like, I was probably three. I don't remember. <laughs> and then, I mean, that's what I was thinking. That was my inner monologue when he said that. I remember this is verbatim. And I remember thinking that and being scared. And he followed that up with, well, some of you may say, well, pastor, I don't know. How could I remember something like that? And I was like, oh, good. He's going to have an appropriate answer. Again, that's my inner monologue. <laughs> His exact next words were, well, you better know. And that's how we ended it. And it, I mean, I cannot tell you the kind of fear I had because like, I'm going to go to hell because this person told me that I don't remember something. And... and and my parents even said, well, we don't believe in that. We don't believe that's accurate. We don't believe in the seven-year tribulation. We don't believe in a lot of stuff they don't. It's like, well, then why, how can there be one living God among everyone? And how can there be an accurate church worshiping if you can't agree on some major, major issues? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's to say who's right? Who's wrong? I mean, if we're wrong and the Baptists are right, we're screwed. If we're wrong in the Amish or right, we're screwed. I mean, there's just a lot of factors that went into it that kind of left me astray from going to a denominational church after that. Um, I mean, that's kind of go, goes back to what we were talking about before, too. But um, what were we talking about before? I went into that very long tangent. <laughs> and I'm not... <laughs> I'm not sure, <laughs> but that's okay. okay. Uh, no, I mean, because that that tangent is filled with some great stuff, including I mean, including okay. great great things to talk about and and go into a little bit more, including this this fear of hell as a motivator for behavioral control, basically. Um, I mean, and yes. to kind of to also <clears throat> compel belief. Um, it's not. It's not the the soundest thing to build uh to build faith upon uh, kind of a fear of a fear of of hell essentially um because eventually most people will kind of tire from that um that seeking that seeking to always try and be perfect and also just 
complete and total uncertainty about your own salvation uh, can be like just if you're an anxious person, um, which I tend to be, I struggle with anxiety. Uh, If you're an anxious person, it's it just makes your anxiety like hair wringing all the time. It just becomes terrifying. Um, So so, yeah, hearing that sort of message can just be a doozy. And I mean, yeah, the pastor may not know that you were in the audience and that you would receive it that way, but he knew what he was saying. He knew, he did. He knew. Did you ever have that kind of experience of um, being gripped by fear in any church that you went to, though? Um, at church, um, at uh, church, church anywhere. Not necessarily. Yeah. So, okay, this will be a little. This will be a little. Um, sound a little weird, but um. So in like my, a lot of my church, I, a lot of my church upbringing before I grew up in Indiana, I grew, I lived in Crawfordsville before moving to the Chicago area in high school. And, um, we went to like a small rural, uh, United Methodist church and it was kind of, it's not as high. It wasn't as high church as like an Episcopal service, but it was still, there was like call and response and moments with the children and services lasted like 45 minutes to an hour on the dot. It was great. Um, uh, but then anyways, um, so I didn't really get that sort of thing there, but actually I had some terrifying moments in college where I don't know what, what really spurred it, but I had some, I had like a solid couple weeks where I just kind of was afraid that God was just going to strike me down for some reason. (laughs) Like, I don't know what it was, but like the, uh, I was in that prayer chapel a lot. <laughs> there was a very nice prayer chapel that was built on campus. And actually there aren't, there are moments of like peace that I had remember there. And there are moments of actual like terror, uh, of like, um, of just kind of being afraid that God was going to judge me or turn me into goo or something, you know, <laughs> like, it was, oh, yeah. I, and I know, and I know that that is irrational, um, but that was what my mind was telling me at the time. Um, oh yeah. That's so, and like, and I have a low grade version of epilepsy. And so sometimes I'm like, am, is my, my brain, are my brain chemicals like conspiring against me here? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that was kind of, uh, and that was kind of the case at the time. I would, I just was absolutely terrified. <laughs> uh, and there were other times where I kind of went through that too. But generally, um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the pastors that I heard wouldn't would usually like shy away from that. If I went to go visit my grandparents' church, however, you would hear a service like that. Um, okay. They would. They lived in Southern Indiana at like a little independent they went to a little independent Christian church, no denominational ties whatsoever, you know, the self-governing kind of place. Um, but kind of default Southern Baptist, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, but yeah, so I'm not, I'm not a stranger to that sort of feeling. And and like I said, like if you have anxiety, it's going to get under your skin, like immediately. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyways, uh, so, 
um, kind of jumping back to your period after your divorce and your, your, doing a lot of soul searching and you're searching in a in a way you kind of haven't before in that you're looking at textual records and that sort of thing and then um you said you were kind of doing that even before that period but then you're also kind of trying to find some sort of response did you feel like that just kind of came up empty at that time what was that experience like for you i mean that's that's uh, that sort of that sort of moment is never pleasant but no it wasn't i mean yeah it was i mean something i'd been raised on my entire life was kind of leaving me and um, i didn't want that discomfort of not knowing it's like you when you're raised to believe in a life after death like raised to believe that you're going to spend eternity in paradise um and then you're on the opposite end of possible eternity in hell which again i found out after review um hell was not quite what we were all about in the bible and in sunday school um i mean again i mean it's common knowledge a lot of what we gather of hell was not introduced until centuries later when it was written about by um the, you know the, uh, dante's inferno um, Renaissance paintings, that kind of stuff. So ideas of hell came afterwards. I think in the Bible, all we really got were uh, passages of there will be gnashing of teeth, or uh, they described it as life with God, life without God. The real concept of hell was not there until afterwards. And you start looking at that, and you start thinking about, well, you know, there's. It was a time. The Bible was written in a time when we didn't have a grasp on science. Um, I remember in Sunday school, and I forget if this part is in the Bible. I really forget it, um, so I apologize for that. But there was a whole thing about, well, after you know, the flood, um, there was a rainbow, which is God's promise that he would never flood the earth again. Um, at the time, we had no idea what rainbows were, um, if that's even an accurate thing that was in the Bible. And now we, with science, we know what rainbows are. We know what causes them, and they appear constantly, every single day. Um, so it was that kind of feeling where we were coming up with explanations, but we didn't really know. Um, we had mythology as far as the mythology where we had Zeus and Hercules and Hades, which could be like you know, God is Zeus, Jesus is Hercules, Satan's Hades. Probably not, but I mean, I could definitely see where some ideas could come from that. Um, and so it just kind of became more a feeling of the Bible was treated as a mythology that just kind of developed in time to conform around Christianity. And a big deal for me was there is some actual, of course, text outside of the Bible that is evidence of Christians and Jesus, but there's not a whole lot of evidence. And I was looking for that, and I still am. But it's like if the Christ figure as we know it with divinity was as prominent and as life-changing to everyone, there should be a lot more physical evidence out there that he existed. And when you have so many churches claiming to have pieces of his cross, which, I mean, a ton of churches claim to have pieces of the cross, and uh, more likely not a cross that was associated at all with a crucifixion of Christ. Um, People don't know which tomb was supposed to be his. There are some that make claims, but there's more than one that make a claim that that's the tomb of Christ. It's like there's very, 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 very little evidence. 
out there. And I couldn't take it on like, well, I just have faith that it all happened. I was looking hard for some kind of actual evidence. I believe there was a Jesus. I have no problem believing that. I don't know for sure. But I have no problem believing that. But I was questioning the divinity of it a lot. When you question the divinity, when you question the resurrection, which is the foundation of it, and then you think maybe that's not real, that shatters a lot. And so that's what I was looking for was some kind of more concrete fact-based evidence, and I just was not seeing it anywhere. Um, and that's what I was praying for. And still today at times, um, it's still one I want to find. I would absolutely love to have something happen. I, I can't really accept it as just a feeling, but I want to have an actual moment of real clear evidence that it's real. And I would love to have the feeling back of we're not alone here. There is something after life. There is something worth it. So that's what I'm still hoping for. So in that sense, I don't know if there is a God. I can't say that there's not. So I can't fully classify myself as an atheist. I would say agnostic, but that's kind of like a middle term there. Um, I want to believe, but it's just really, really, really hard when there's just not enough fact-based evidence out there for me to really to support it for me. And going from a biased Christian view my entire life to a non-biased view, looking at it from a non-biased perspective, it really opened the door to see everything that I thought was right that probably was not accurate. So that was hard. I mean, it was extremely, extremely hard. I was worried about my parents judging me for not going to church, which happened. Um, it was difficult. But at the same time, it was like these questions should have been asked. There were some questions. There were some questions that were asked in my time in college. And sometimes the answer was, well, let's just pray about it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just kind of left there. Um, so yeah, that, that's again, another long winded thing. Cause I get talky sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, this is what this, uh, what this show is all about is long winded. Oh, yeah. Well, so. podcast would be boring if we just sat there and stared at each other. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So although that's a help, great idea for a podcast, I'm just going to sit and stare at stuff and no one can know what I'm looking at. It's going to be video only. <laughs> Every once in a while, you're going to hear some heavy breathing, and that's it. But it'll be fantastic. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll subscribe. You you okay, let me know thanks. when it launches. I'll subscribe. <laughs> I'll give you five stars. No one's going to know because they won't announce it. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> like I tell you, but I can't. Anyways, <laughs> today's podcast, you just hear me snoring a little bit as I wake up. So is this all? Um, was all of this sort of like? deep questioning that you had going on was it was it like solitary Did, were you kind of going through this with anyone else at the time um or was it just kind of self-motivated i've got to look into this stuff it was uh it was self-motivated um i did try going around to different churches on the south side because i've never been to any before um <clears throat> i tried going to a baptist church on the south side i tried going to a west end church here i didn't really find anything that wasn't what I had heard before. Um, 
there was nothing new. There was nothing fresh about it. And have, being a pastor has got to be seriously one of the hardest jobs to actually have something where you have to not just talk about the Bible, but actually be a supporter, a motivator for living a great life. Um, and honestly, um, Joel Austin, yeah, I've got issues with a lot of people do, which we won't go into, but for the most part, he came across to me as very charismatic and he would be more of a life coach type of feel rather than being a pastor who's up there telling you to pray. Um, Where's it going? Oh yeah. So pastoring, <laughs> it, it was, there's no way I could ever do that on a weekly basis, coming up with something new every single time. Um, I remember going to my grandparents' church and my grandparents' church sounds different from yours. They had a very, very, very calm, very collected individual pastor who was very caring. But the thing was, I went there, they lived five hours away. So I went there a number of times, Christmas um, for the most part. And every once in a while, when we would visit my grandparents, we'd go to their church. And it was the kind of church where you would have to check everyone's pulse to make sure they were alive, because it was very, very much an elderly crowd. <laughs> Sweet people, but very elderly. And I think maybe that was why, but maybe also because it's hard, because I heard the same sermon come out of that pastor's mouth more, more than four times. And, it, it, yeah, it's got to be hard coming up with material for it. Um, so I it was nothing, not a job I could ever do. Uh, much, maybe that's why my dad had to stop doing his class because maybe he kind of got worn and had to take a little break from it because I could understand that has to be, that's got to be difficult. I mean, did they ever talk about that when you were taking pastoral classes at uh, university? Or? Uh, I actually never really took pastoral classes. So I was a biblical literature major and then I ended up oh, okay. graduating with a minor. So I kind of dodged all those like quote unquote like all the like practical classes, I wouldn't, I'll remove the quotes, all the practical classes, just about kind of running a church and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I didn't take any of those classes. I, um, okay. My primary major was coming in even was history. So a lot of things that I would take, they would try to count towards both majors because the department chair at the time was like all about double majors. So you know, I would take a church history yeah. one and two, and that would count for both majors. And then I took Greek and like Pentateuch and other similar courses that were generally about the actual literature of the Bible, um, and not so much the practical aspects of running a church and that sort of thing. So I had lots of friends uh, uh, because I was in the building. You know, the and you know, like the CM, the Christian ministry major, was a huge major on yeah. campus. So many oh, people, yeah. so many people were um, a part of it. And actually, my <laughs> it was actually my um, my to my mother's credit, she was like, "You are not. You can go to this go to the school, and that's great, but do not get a ministry major because if you don't go that path, then that major is not going to be." Uh, worth much outside of that particular sphere so she kind of counseled me yeah do history biblet do do that but do not just get like a, a ministry major so and that was i am yeah. thankful for that every day 
um, because I didn't go into the ministry. I had a major crisis of faith sophomore year, and I um, didn't. So um, I, I maintained my Christianity kind of throughout, and I would say I still am a Christian, um, but the type of Christian I am is very different than the type of Christian I was in high yeah. school and college. Um, so in that regard, uh, and, and the other thing is, is that, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what this says about, about me or whatever, but a lot of times like agnostics or atheists, I feel like I have more in common with them than Christians or at least evangelical Christians. Um, so, um, and so I, I kind of started to feel that way in college. Um, okay. So. Uh, that that that's way more than the question you asked me, which was no, no, I yeah, that's excellent. I kind of wish that I had that mindset more back in college as well. Um, it was like I had the questions there, I didn't have the courage to ask them. I I think everyone kind of asks them when they're yeah. when they're ready to, you know, and then, um, yeah, and certain certain life events also kind of spur you. Like it, for you, it was your marriage and, and the subsequent end of the marriage. Uh, for me, it was studying Greek and taking away too many like classes that I may not have been emotionally prepared to take, but it was like, it was the right, it ended up being the right time to address those things. And so I, yeah, you may, uh, I may be overreaching here, but you may not have been ready to ask them at that time. Yeah, I don't think I was. Yeah, I definitely wasn't. I, I, again, I wish I had, but um, you're absolutely right. I was not ready at the time. I was really not ready. Um, because at, the, at that college, you were, I mean, I remember specifically being in a New Testament class. The professor who, I couldn't even say his name if I want to because I forget what his name was. He was a nice man. But I remember two things. One, he was very much a younger creationist which at the time I was kind of accepting, but leaning more away from because um, I was into science at that time. I wasn't great at science, but I was getting into it more. Um, and then I remember one person in our class, I forget what started the topic, but the professor was going into how um, homosexual community should not have any kind of rights that people were trying to get them to have. I mean, this was back in 2003, so it's it's come a long way, thankfully. Um, but there was one girl in our class who got offended and tried to shoot him down, and she was absolutely right to. But he had none of it, and actually asked her to leave the class, and she was very, 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 very upset. And at the time, I was actually finding myself siding with a professor on it because I was on the mindset of, um, judgment as far as God wants us to judge people that are homosexual. So I was coming across on his side and I mean, completely different person now, but again, like when that happened, I was like, what was stopping me from going? No, she's right. Why? Who are we to judge any of that? No one should be judging at all because it's nothing to judge. Um, so it's like times like that. I wish I could go back to and just do something different at least think differently, maybe not act on it because I definitely wasn't at that point, but I should have had a more open mind. I should not have been, I won't say controlled by the school, but that's kind of what it felt like when they made you sign those waivers to go in. 
and they made you sign the waiver for curfew, which we didn't know. They made you sign the waiver to not watch any movie with an R rating until they approved it. They were definitely controlling you. They were conditioning you. They were making you aware of that sign, that bubble, as everyone called it. And if you went outside the bubble even in thought, who knew what was going to happen? I remember, I remember two guys being kicked out um, I think freshman year for being gay. I mean, actually kicked out of the school for being gay. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, it was in, um, I'll say it, it was in Bowman Hall that it happened, that they were actually kicked out of school for being gay. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember if there's a waiver saying you can't apply here either if you are homosexual. I don't know if that was a thing. I hope it wasn't. But when that happened, and I was still in school at the time, I forget exactly what year it was, but um, that was when it hit me even more. Like, that's just not right. That is not right whatsoever. Meanwhile, the school is taking a lot of money to go around and make themselves look more proper. They wanted to have the best kind of chapel. They built a beautiful chapel, like you said. Every year we were there, um, they were building something new that was costing a lot of money. To this day, they're still calling people that have graduated, asking for more money. And that's what kind of disappoints me as well, because they will put on that fake, hypocritical voice and smile. They will get you on the phone. They'll ask about your life very, very briefly for 30 seconds, no matter what you say. I mean, right after my divorce, right after my divorce, they called. And they asked how I was doing. I said, oh, I just got divorced, but I'm doing okay. And her reply was, that's awesome. Well, anyways, and then she <laughs> wanted to spiel about how she wanted money. And I just said, I'm going through a divorce. I don't have money. I mean, my divorce was not expensive. I mean, I walked away from that one, thankfully, thankfully, without any kind of issue. But um, so I was like, you didn't hear a word I said. And then as soon as I said I couldn't donate, she said – Oh, well, is there anything you want me to pray for? And again, I was just like, you didn't listen to a word I said. And we had nothing else to talk about. And so I still get those calls. And luckily, I know the number enough to just hit ignore. But, um, <laughs> they want us to donate money to make it cheaper for kids to go to school. At the same time, then why do you need a brand new building every single year? That's really not going to be um, – the buildings we have were fine when we went. There was not really any kind of issue. Um, I understand they're expanding, getting bigger. But at the same time, do we need a – what was it? A million-dollar globe that spins on water <laughs> that they broke and cracked and they had to buy a new one? Did we need that? No, we didn't need that. Do we need a bronze bust of Kirk Cameron in a library? No. Um, get rid of stuff like that. That is not – Christ-like. I mean, it was a money-hungry feeling that I got from that school. The entire time I was there, the entire time that I left for years afterward, maybe still. It's a beautiful campus, but it comes at a very high cost. Mm -hmm. And that cost, in a sense, is turning their students that work there. Um, I feel bad for them for that being their job, but they are automatons who are trying to solicit money from people that are already paying them back. Um, so it, it's not another, it was just kind of like another you know, uh, proverbial coffin of what that school kind of left me, or how that school left a mark in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Again, I forget how we got on that topic. But yeah. <laughs> That's all right. I like I like these meandering conversations. It's good. We're, yeah. It's good to roll with it. So um so let's back let's backtrack a little bit to, you know, you're you're yeah, investigating yeah. um kind of the uh the more the the historical evidence for the person of Jesus and how the Bible was formed and everything. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna you know, never mind. <laughs> Instead of going down that route, I I'm gonna I'm gonna change tack here and ask you a different question. Sure. So now that um now that you identify as an as an agnostic excuse me, now that you identify as an agnostic, um, how does that kind of affect how you view the world do you see the world differently than you did before Mm, i still view the world as the same honestly um i still want to find a deeper meaning behind it all because it is a scary thought thinking that we are just a a byproduct of years and years of evolution i mean obviously years and years of evolution understatement um and then we're here and then when we die we don't know what happens because we're dead um looking for a deeper meaning in that is a little bit more of a positive feeling for myself as far as the world goes. I, it hasn't really put me on that level yet. Um, I want there to be more. I want to believe that there is hope in the world and that we do have a defined person who is watching everything, who is in control. Again, it gets into the whole topic of free will. If God knows what's going to happen, is that free will or not? That's a whole thing that a lot of people have had the conversation on. Um, so it's like, but it's a comfort. It's a comfort knowing that we could be protected by someone out there, um, that we're not alone, that there is more to this life afterwards. And that is a hopeful feeling. It hasn't changed my mind on it, not yet. Um, I don't think I'll ever go back to feeling the way I did when I was a kid, going into church as a kid, and having it all laid out for me of right and wrong, morality, accepting Christ, going to hell, going to heaven. I don't think I'm going to go back to that. So I've got doubts, which, and people have said, doubt is a humble, humble thing, and it really is. Having having a biased view on religion can be incredibly arrogant in a sense. That's another reason what I didn't like about church was every single person, not every single person, but the people at the pulpits. They did have that certainty. They did have that arrogance of saying, I'm right. And I can accept that. Um, Getting up there and saying, I don't know, is something that's much more fulfilling because it makes them feel like a real person. It doesn't put them on a pedestal or a pulpit. It doesn't make them above you because certainly they've got flaws and they're not going to pretend to be above you. If they get up there and one of the best church services I ever went to, and I went there a few times, was a Unitarian church where um, a Unitarian, it does have some staples in Christian beliefs. But at the same time, it's not just accepting and tolerating other beliefs. It's supporting them. It's making them welcome. It is, you walk, I mean, I went into that church service the first time, and instead of hearing the same kind of mundane church hymnals I'd heard my entire life, which meant nothing to me, all it was was just singing, and then, of course, you have the old woman behind you that's singing very poorly, and all you can think about is her or him and why they're so out of tune. But, and it happened every church. Come on. 
Um, <laughs> no. I'm laughing because I I know the situation. <laughs> oh, okay. everyone knows the situation. Even my mom, my well, my mom, and she will admit that to every church she's been to ever. There is that one person who cannot sing but thinks they can, and they're belting it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, there wasn't that at the church I was going to. It's called All Souls Unitarian Church. It was a fantastic church, and still is. I haven't been there in years. But I walked in there, and they would start the day by actually being genuine, and they would sing Cole Porter songs. They opened up one service with Oklahoma's Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. It was actual feel-good songs that didn't feel like it was... Well, what's the word for? Um, there's a word in there somewhere. I'm trying to find it. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't something like synthetic or... Oh, what, what? And not, not like synthetic or artificial. Um, I would, I would say synthetic or artificial is a good term. Um, yeah. It, um, more of a mandatory synthetic way of operating. Like, we're going to sing the song to get you all riled up for Jesus, and then we're all going to sit down, and then we're going to think about what we did wrong this week. It was, um... They went in there, they had stories of World War II, people finding peace in times of war. Um, it didn't necessarily have to be through finding Jesus. It was just more finding strength in yourself and being a better person because you are who you are. Or whether you think there's a creator behind it, whether you think you adapted because you went through something horrifying, you came out better as a person. Maybe there is a God that did that for you. And if you believe that, that's great. Um, or you did it on your own, and you should be highly commended for it. Um, it was that kind of message that they spread around. There was not mm -hmm. any form of judgment whatsoever. There wasn't, okay, now everyone, we're going to sing a hymn while we pass the collection plate around. Everyone donate. There wasn't any kind of, um, we're going to have a, uh, a sermon all about giving money. We're not going to have a and pretend like it's a sermon about that when really we're just short on paying the bills this week. So we need more money, so we're going to make a sermon about that which I heard a lot of churches do when I was younger. Um, it felt an actual, genuine, caring. It was a community, which I had never felt in a Christian church before. It was not pressured. It was just something wonderful. And then uh, I remember my parents, I told my parents I went to it once, and I told some friends who were very Christian, uh, and I'll give the example of them real quick. They're very, 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 very religious. But with that came, they're very blinded by everything else, which means they would judge you for anything that was not their beliefs. And my friend, when I told my friend I went to a Unitarian church, she very quickly judged me on it. Very, very quickly judged me on it. Then she followed up that judgment by saying, so what do they believe in? And that just kind of proves to me, like, you're judging something you don't know anything about. And that's, uh, I hate it when a religion does that to a person, because you're just so turned off to the rest of everything. And that kind of goes back to our college. You're so shut off to everything else. All you believe is what you've been raised to believe, what you've been told to believe is right. And you have no idea, but you're going to judge it anyways. Um, so... Yeah, where do we start talking about that? <laughs> there was an original question back there, and I don't know what it was. 
<laughs> so I I think um, one thing like the in hearing you talk about that I I don't know if there's something to kind of attending a if you're no longer satisfied with the sort of faith you had as an adolescent or even younger. I think there's something to attending a service that's that's outside of your original tradition, even if it's something that's still either Christian or something resembling Christian. And a, yeah. the thing that makes me think of that is, I grew up so I went I grew up United Methodist, um, and first the first United Methodist church I went to was more high church than the second one I went to in high school. Um, the, the second one was like, there were like praise and worship bands and that whole scene from the mid nineties, early two thousands. Um, that was all present there. It was not there in the church I grew up in. It was like the, the priests were not the priests, the pastors were investments and that sort of thing. Um, there was call and response, all of that, but it wasn't too heavy into that, but I went um, several years after college, living here in Chicago, I met a one friend through another friend um, that happened to be the pastor at a Lutheran church um, here in Chicago. And there's a couple different divisions of Lutheran church. There's one that's like much more evangelical, very conservative, and then there's another branch that's uh, more, much more you would call progressive. And he was in the progressive group. Um, I think that's ELCA. Don't quote me on that. Um, and okay, some, uh, at least one of my one, at least one of my friends will be mad at me that I don't know the, <laughs> the answer to that. But um, anyways, I we attend his uh, church service at his church once, and I um, it's much more uh, high church. It's much more liturgical, which I've found after college that I am very. Um, receptive to because it's actually very intentional and it's also very um, it kind of it presents a point of view without necessarily rec without necessarily putting that point of view on you if that makes any sense so instead of yeah. commanding you to instead of commanding you to believe something it presents a point of view and then you have to wrestle with whether you accept it um, so that is something I appreciate about, about liturgical services. Yeah. And then throughout this service, throughout this service that, that, that we, that we attend, um, you know, they, they have some really wonderful moments. One of them was when they acknowledge in their liturgy, uh, that they acknowledge people of other faiths. They acknowledge people that are atheists, um, as being people that, that they're underneath underneath meaning kind of under the care of um the god as they understand god um and to me that was very very moving <laughs> because it's very different than something you might find in a more conservative church but it yeah. can be extremely empowering and also if we understand the god in the new testament god revealed through jesus that God is a God of love and that love is very open and very wide, um, in my interpretation of it. So, right. um, yeah. but that's very, um, but, um, I mean, that is, if you kind of, if you kind of ex accept that the, the tenants 
however you may frame them, of the revelation of Jesus and that sort of thing. And that, I mean, there's all manner of ways to slice and dice that. That's why we have 10,000 denominations yes. <laughs> on planet Earth. You know, that's and that's why it, uh, it's such a divisive thing. Um, but one other question I have for you is, as sure. uh, that's kind of come to mind as we, as we've been talking here is, do you, do you see a divide between scientific or historical evidence, uh, or science and history versus religion, uh, and the way they try to explain things? Or do you think there is a possibility for a sort of synthesis between the two? Uh, there's definitely a possibility there. Um, I would come down more in the case of, um, science works more for me. Um, but then again, as a lot of scientists will say, um, and maybe their positions changed on it, there is always the God factor of, as far as in a physical sense, where we all came from. Um, I mean, the Big Bang's, of course, the accepted theory, what created that. We're still trying to find out. We don't know the answer now. It doesn't mean we won't find out. But yeah, that, that question always comes to mind. Um, something came from nothing somehow at the same time, saying God has always been is kind of another a head scratcher as far as uh, I how <laughs> I mean if I was a Christian I would stop and think about that kind of thing for a while and my mind would just kind of be blown like how does that work um, eternal life how does that work and then I'd think about it for five seconds and my mind would just kind of be blank like how and then I'd go back to just playing with toys or something um, <laughs> yeah. so Science and religion can definitely work together in senses, but um, I would always prefer. I'm a very literal person. I can be sarcastic, absolutely, but I'm always much more literal as far as I want to have everything spelled out for me, and I want to see it in black and white. I want to make sure that it's real before I commit myself to it because I don't want to say this is right and. Prove it's right. And I was like, I don't know how. Um, I want to show that it's there. It's kind of like um, I have this XKCD comic up in my cube at work. Um, it's more of a skeptical kind of thing, but it's like, if this phenomenon worked, um, companies would be using it for this. Does it work? Checkmark. Um, and it's like, it seems like remote prayer, dowsing, um, tarot card reading, all these pseudoscientific stuff um at the end of it's like you know thermal activity stuff like that and um it's like well if we believe the prayer works then why does why do we have insurance um it's like well put it in god's hands if it doesn't work then it's part of god's plan and um with that it's if you put all the faith in god it doesn't need to be a reason for science to be there for the most part because god looks on everything but now we have science we have modern science we are starting to understand a lot more and it's kind of taking away that feeling of um everything happens for a reason in my mind so i feel like i didn't answer the question really did that make any kind of sense at all no 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 i mean yeah no it, it helps to explain your your view of, of how science explains things versus religion and how they kind of seek to answer the same sort of phenomenon and explain them, but yeah. in different ways. Um, 
So I, I think, but anyways, yeah. Like when it, when it comes to uh, explaining physical phenomena, especially, I mean, science, science will always have the upper hand. <laughs> um, and then like a lot of the larger cosmological questions, as far as the big bang, I mean, I know like Neil deGrasse Tyson being the public intellectual he is, he, he definitely is outspoken about it and kind of addresses it as a sort of, uh, God of the gaps sort of framework where God is plugged in to the gaps to explain the things we don't understand right, yeah. empirically yeah. yet. Um, and I think there's something to that. Uh, I, I do think there's something to that. I do also think that there, and similar to, um, similar to some of the guests I've had on, uh, for me, there, there's something always kind of nagging there, uh, in the corner, but, uh, I've become, <laughs> I've become much closer to a universalist, mm -hmm. which is someone that, you know, believes that, that God will eventually redeem everyone, um, which becomes problematic for truly evil people but it becomes much easier to kind of address larger questions without the fear of hell involved. Um, and so for me, yeah, uh, I, I certainly wrestle with those things. Uh, but I think, um, like in my grad school work, uh, I studied creation care, which is kind of a sort it's a Christian movement that's environmental in nature, uh, and really kind of tries to venerate the natural world. Uh, and for me, when I discovered that it was at a point when I needed some sort of way to synthesize, uh, synthesize my beliefs and find a way to marry kind of religion and science and all the, all the other different things like, and make it work together. And for me, that was kind of something that, that, uh, that presented itself just randomly as part of my, as part of my uh, graduate work. But anyways, those are like, those are, you know, the big questions and you're still, you're still open-minded about stuff. And I think that's great. And I think no matter what you're being honest with where you are. And to me, that's um, there. Like you said, there's humility in, in being, in being open with your doubt. And I mean, aren't, are you, do you, I mean, you've kind of mentioned that you're, you, you want something a little more, like you still want that sort of feeling you had. And I totally, I totally, uh, identify with that. Like the sort of highs I would get in youth group or in church or whatever, those emotional highs, I don't get those anymore. Um, yeah. but, uh, do you feel, how do you feel about where you are right now? Do you feel content or do you feel a sort of unrest what how do you how do you see yourself now yeah there is definitely some unrest i feel um i feel confident in the beliefs that i have i have confidence in the questions i ask but then again like i said um there is a longing for something more so there's kind of that uncomfort um some personal stuff i won't get into that kind of led me towards wanting to find that yeah there is definitely a longing for more, and I want there to be more. So I'm going to keep looking, and hopefully, hopefully one day I'll find it. Um, I'll be more than thrilled if I do. I'll be absolutely thrilled. Um, so I've asked people to pray for me. Again, I don't really know for sure if 
prayer actually works in a sense, which kind of goes back to the idea of when someone's sick and someone's sick on the deathbed, like, oh, everyone pray for this person to get better. And uh, I had two questions about that. One was, will praying actually help if God already has his or her mind made up on that person's destiny in the future? What is prayer going to do? If God changes his or her mind, that means God didn't know. Um, or if the person is prayed for and then dies anyway, is that our fault because we didn't pray enough? Uh, it was like questions like that that came in. So personally, thing like I want it to work. I want to believe that it does work. I want to believe that there is a God listening. And there are times when, you know, I'm praying. I hope to make a home safe. I can't answer who I'm praying to, but I mean, I still do want to go pray, or I hope. So that's what I keep wanting to happen. I've asked people to pray for me to find something. I don't know if it's going to. Uh, I'm okay with people proselytizing to me because it means you care enough about that person, even if you don't know me. And someone's praying for me, that's a fantastic thing. I mean, across the board, not me in general, that sounds kind of selfish. But, you know, if someone passes another person on the street and says, well, I'm praying for you, that, that's fantastic. If you're walking on the street saying, I'm praying for you because you're not doing something right, that's where the judgment comes in. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in my, my personal self, I want to keep looking. I want to keep praying. I want to find something that proves God is there for me, and maybe that will happen, and I hope it does. As of right now, there's just too many questions out there for me to say with certainty that there is a God that's watching over me. But maybe one day that will change. Yeah, and that's and that's that's the honest answer for you, and that's that's the honest response for you right now. And I and so I think I think that you should be commended for for being honest with yourself, and I think anyone should if you if you can be honest about your doubt that is there's the the alternative is shoving it down <laughs> and then it's going to erupt yeah so i mean you're you're being you're being honest with yourself and with your belief and that's that's really all any of us can do in the end yeah i agree i do um so I was going to say, um, follow me. We'll keep in contact, but follow with me sometime in the future. We'll see where I'm at then. It could be completely different. Yeah. Um, one way or the other. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the, yeah, I would, I would love that. So, um, yeah, me too. any, um, uh, any other closing thoughts you might have? I think that that was a pretty good coda, I think on, well, on I things. prepared a song that I <laughs> was going to hold off on. It comes from the heart. <laughs> Um, no, I, um, no, I don't think that I have anything else to go on there. Not the moments. Okay, great. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you, you taking the time to, to talk to me. And, um, and I, like I said, I, I think you're, you're, yeah, this, I'm very happy that you shared your story and I'm very happy. Thanks. Yeah. I'm very happy that, that you agreed to come on. Um, because I think there are a lot of people that feel similarly. And that's kind of the kind of my one major part of my MO with this whole show is like there's there are people that feel this way 
that grew up in this this like cultural shorthand that we all have um that's imbued with this kind of weird religious baggage um but then that sort of baggage also gives us a lot of things to process throughout the rest of our lives and i think a lot of people will will be in a similar place as you are and so i thank you for for sharing um, thank you very much for listening and for again for doing the show i mean it's really really refreshing to hear seriously (laughs) thank you i appreciate that thanks very much all right thank you